Hello and welcome to Publishers Weekly Insider. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. On today's show, we will be looking at this season's big thrillers, mysteries, and true crime books. And to talk with us is our thriller mystery expert, Senior Editor Peter Cannon. Hello, Peter. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Mark. So I, I should begin by mentioning that in this week's issue, we're going to be highlighting some big trends in mystery and thrillers uh, for the spring. And the feature is called Norse Code. And I love the subtitle. There's more to Nordic noir than brooding middle-aged male cops lugging hefty emotional baggage. I think it's all clever from the title on. But I want to just step aside. And I want to, since Peter, you see pretty much everything of note crosses your desk, many of which you read yourself. I just want to get a sense of what you are especially thrilled about this spring. Right. Well, I have a a number of books I'd like to recommend that I've either read or am reading or know well enough to speak with authority about. Great. Uh, Speaking of uh, Scandinavian noir, a little south of uh, that area is Germany, and one of the authors in that uh, noir genre that I'm particularly fond of is the late Philip Carr, Mm. author of the best-selling Bernie Gunther novels about a Berlin cop who's an honest, wisecracking cop in the traditional hard-boiled mold, but he he works in Nazi Germany, and often his clients are people like Heinrich Himmler. Wow. <laughs> Anyhow, this last book that Carr wrote that's coming out in April is called Metropolis. Mm-hmm. It's actually a prequel set in 1928 Berlin. So oh, it's, wow. It's so- the, the Weimar period. And it's early in his career. He's promoted from vice squad to the murder commission and gets on the track of a serial killer in Berlin. And there's lots of uh, uh, local color about what Berlin was like. I was going to ask, how well does he do that? It must be pretty good. He does it very well. He he researched all his novels uh, thoroughly. He would typically go to the site of where he was setting the novel and walk around and, and study it. So it's it's filled with plenty of details about uh, the culture, the arts, uh, the poverty, all, all the uh, wounded veterans on the street begging, that sort of thing. In fact, at one point, Bernie poses as one of those veterans. He gets on one of those little carts and tucks his legs underneath <laughs> and pretends to be wow. be a wounded uh, Great War veteran in hopes of luring the serial killer who's been uh, knocking off these these poor men. The other thing about uh, I liked about Philip Carr was that he would incorporate traditional mystery elements into what are basically hard-boiled historicals. In one, he had a uh, a locked room murder where there's a gathering one weekend of uh, top SS officers, and the next morning, one of them's found dead in a locked room. Mm. And so you have this mystery about finding, trying to find a killer uh, among everyone who's a professional killer. Right. Uh, in another Gunther book, um, he does the Agatha Christie trick of having the narrator turning out to be the killer. <laughs> Who killed Roger Ackroyd is sort of the, the the title. That's that's the gimmick to that book, and right. and Carr uses that in, in one of the earlier. 
volume. How many does he have? He, he published 14 in, okay. in his, in his yeah. lifetime. So this is coming up posthumously. Yes, yes. He, 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 when did he die? He died just about a year ago, Okay. as a matter of fact. But I think he knew he was dying, and he had just enough time to uh, write one more Bernie Gunther novel. I, I should say it's it's not among his best. Uh, if you're a fan, you'll enjoy it. But the the plot is pretty linear and straightforward, right. uh, whereas earlier books were more complicated, jumping around in time and place. But this reminds me of another uh, best-selling author who uses the traditional mystery form, and that is Anthony Horowitz, a British author who's best known, I think, for his Alex Ryder YA series, and, right. and he's also uh, been a, a, a TV screenwriter, Foil's War. Well, in recent years, he's started to write what are, in effect, traditional mysteries, but with sort of an extra little spin or two. So I want to ask, what do you mean by traditional mystery? What is a traditional mystery? Well, very, very briefly, in, in the Agatha Christie tradition, where you know, there's a murder, typically it's in an enclosed place like a country house, there's a detective who arrives and interviews all the suspects, and then typically at the end he gathers them all and explains yeah. who did it and why. And like the, any good Poirot, right? <laughs> yeah. And in the best of them, there are clues that the reader can pick up on, so that you, the reader, can solve the crime along with the detective. Now, what's coming out in June? Anthony Horowitz's *The Sentence's Death* is a sequel to uh, *The Word Is Murder* that came out last year. And what's distinctive about the series is. The narrator is Anthony Horowitz himself. It's sort of a metafictional thing, right? Where Anthony Horowitz, who's you know an author and screenwriter, gets involved in solving crimes, and through his TV work, he meets this detective named Daniel Hawthorne, who's astute but also extremely irritating, and you have a, a Watson. Holmes relationship uh, between the, the the two of them, and the crime is certainly one you know worthy of you know Agatha Christie. You know the first the first book, uh, the word is murder. A, a woman goes into a um, funeral parlor and schedules her own funeral. A few hours later, she's murdered in her London home. Mm. Now, how did that happen? That's what you might call an, an impossible crime, and, right. and uh, Horowitz comes up with a very ingenious solution to it. And, and this, the crime is a little you know, less perplexing, but it still is, it's, it's complicated, and uh, the readers kept guessing to the end, and Horowitz himself, the character, makes at least one wrong deduction, and he, he also suffers various insults. Uh, <laughs> in the course of his helping out right. this, this detective, he's sort of the, the the fall guy. So it's 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 very amusing to see this author using a version himself and being very self-deprecating. So it's in the first person, uh, like kind of a memoir in in ways. 
Right. He's yeah. the, the frame is he's hired by the detective to to write up his cases. Yeah. And you learn in uh, the census death that he actually has a three book contract, and I, I you know he may indeed be talking about his real ed- right. editor in the previous book. He has a script meeting with Steven Spielberg and Peter Jackson about the next Tintin movie. I believe uh, uh, Horowitz may have contributed to the first. Well, in the, into the middle of this, presumably, you know, could have been very real script right. meeting, the annoying detective barges in, and after that, the meeting falls apart, <laughs> and Horowitz doesn't get... The, the job, despite assurances from his pals uh, Peter Jackson and Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and is this something that might have really happened in real life? Well, yeah, I'm, I, who knows? But I yeah. mean, it's, I'm guessing it's probably based on something that right. might well have happened or could have happened. Uh, and the fiction comes in when you have the detective uh, walking in unannounced and ruining the, the meeting Sounds like he pulls it off all right. He, he, he does a, a fabulous job. He's, yeah. he's also written a terrific uh, Sherlock Holmes pastiche, The House of Silk. He's written two James Bond mm. novels that are also very well done. Uh, one of them uh, kind of a sequel to Goldfinger. The other is kind of a prequel that explains how James Bond became 007. So I've become a big fan of his, of his recent work. Great. All right. What else do we have? Well, for a, s- a slight change of pace, I'm uh-huh. reading what on one level is a mainstream li- literary novel, but it has a, a mystery, strong mystery element. In fact, I was invited to the, the uh, publicity lunch for it about a month ago, and I was sort of wondering, well, why are you including me, the, the mystery editor? Uh, and what is this ostensibly mainstream? a literary. Right. Not, yeah. not that mysteries can't be literary, too. Right, but right. Anyhow, the, the title of this book is Searching for Sylvie Lee by Jean Kwok, who's the author of Girl in Translation. Mm. And there, there is a mystery at, at the heart of the novel. It's about an immigrant, Chinese immigrant family uh, who are living in New York. One of their members uh, later moves to the Netherlands. Right. And where she spends much of her youth. Anyway, she comes back and to the U.S., and then she, dis- she disappears on a trip to the Netherlands, and her younger sister, uh, Amy, goes looking for her. She, she flies from New York to the Netherlands and hooks up with relatives there. Meanwhile, you have the perspectives of uh, Sylvie Lee, the missing woman, in the period leading up to her disappearance, and you also have the uh, grandmother who doesn't speak English, right. uh, but you get her point of view, and, and each section is uses the, the language you would expect of a person from that background. So the Chinese grandmother is using all this sort of flowery, metaphoric language that comes from her experience as a Chinese native, and, and there's you know much in the, about the Netherlands that, that's sort of right on. Uh, the author herself I believe is married to a Dutchman and, and mm-hmm. lives there part-time. I'm about halfway through, and, uh, you know, yes, there's a lot of emphasis on character development and the relationships, and I suppose the biggest difference is, other than the dis- disappearance, there hasn't been really any violence. <laughs> right. There, there's, a, there's a theft sort of midway through, 
but uh, you know, so so far, no one has <laughs> died in a violent crime. But <laughs> yeah. on the other hand, I, it's just as compelling as any mystery because you care about the characters right. and you want to know what's happening, and and you, you have no idea how it's all going to yeah. turn out. The next book I want to talk about is a first novel, Daniela Petrova's Her Daughter's Mother. Uh, this is very timely because it has to do with uh, surrogacy. Mm. And in this story, which is set in New York, the heroine is looking to get pregnant, and she has a partner who's been willing to donate his sperm to create you know, embryos, but then he leaves her right before the transfer. Well, she goes ahead with the transfer. She gets pregnant. And then, in a rather unexpected twist, she recognizes her egg donor on the subway. Oh, wow. Now, I've been through this process myself. Right. So I, I can relate. And I should say one thing that strikes me as a little odd is she has seen a photograph of the egg donor. And in my experience, you get the information, the ethnicity, the level of education, health history, and so forth, but not a picture. Right. In other words, they yep. want to keep you uh, apart and not make it easier for you to connect. Right, yeah. So, so things may have changed uh, in more recent times, uh, but certainly as a plot device, it's it's kind of essential to... <laughs> right, right. For, yep. for, for, for making the connection between... Uh, the recipient and and the donor and that they're, they're both of Bulgarian heritage mm. and they develop a bond there but then someone gets murdered and um, that sounds good now I see what you're holding up now about ready to hold up and this is something we were talking about before this is really intriguing you brought this up in uh, our most recent editorial meeting and this is going to true crime so we're moving to true crime now right um, this is called Chaos, Charles right. Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s by Tom O'Neill, who's a journalist with Dan Piepenbring. And on the 50th anniversary that's approaching of the, the Manson murders, he has delivered this opus that um, puts a very different slant on the murders as described in Vincent Bugliosi's classic mm. Helter right. Skelter. Yeah. Which uh, I read as a kid, I, teenager. I, right. Scared me. Yeah. Now, I haven't read Helter Skelter, nor have I read this book, but he has some some arguments to, to pick with, with Bugliosi and, and has some alternative uh, theories for, for the crime. Uh, we're giving it a star. We're also interviewing... The, the the author that will be running in the April 1st right. issue. So the, this should be a big book for anyone who's kind of interested in, you know, one of the uh, uh, more sensational you know, murder cases yeah. of, of that and, period. And it is interesting that it, it, it weaves in in the subtitle, the CIA. Uh, so something about that, but also the 60s. I mean, this was all a product, Manson... CIA, everything that's happening there was uh, seems to be an argument in his argument product of the '60s. Yes, a fan of '60s music and culture, uh, pop culture. This is it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And moving just slightly back in period, I have a uh, novel that's an interesting hybrid. It's uh, 
Becky Masterman's We Were Killers Once. Mm. It's part of a, a series featuring a retired FBI agent and her husband, a former Catholic priest. And it, it takes as its premise that there was a third person involved in the murders of the Clutter family on their Kansas farm in 1959, which of course was uh, chronicled in Truman Capote's In Cold Blood, right. talking about you know, one of the best and first you know, true crime right. books. It's, it's set in the present day, but uh, it turns out there was a boy, 15 years old at the time, who was present at the time of the murders and is at least implicit in them. Now he spent most of his uh, years since in prison, but now he's been released. And he discovers that uh, the FBI uh, agent's uh, husband had some contact with, I think it's Dick Hickok, one, one of the two convicted characters, mm -hmm. years before when he was in prison. And anyway, the, the, the released killer is tracking down everyone who might know anything about his involvement right. in the crime and wants to silence them. Wow. Oh, it sounds great. These sound like, I mean, all very different selections, but uh, one just as compelling as the next. I agree. Yeah, excellent. Well, we've been taking a look at Spring Mysteries and Thrillers with PW's review expert, Peter Cannon. Peter, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you for having me, Mark. And listeners, be sure to check out our feature on upcoming spring mysteries, thrillers, and true crime narratives. The title of the piece is Norse Code. you got a lot of stuff in there, including books coming from podcasts. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to PW Insider on iTunes, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>